You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Amy Carmichael. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. And this was night and day different than anything I had ever experienced. I was humbled and even embarrassed. I really felt God knocking on the door. You know, I was an atheist and I thought that science was the right way and anything else was just silly. It was just, you know, like fairy tale really is what I thought. God had a plan for my life. I believe when we lose our life is when we find the life that God wants us to have. Hola, shalom, and jambo. Thank you so much for listening. I am your hardworking host, Dan Henderson. In this episode, we hear Afshan's story. He's now a successful pastor and author. Uh, He's also a speaker that travels around the country. But as a young believer, he had to make the gut-wrenching choice of his faith in Jesus or his family. You see, Afshan was raised as a Muslim. However, his courage and dedication to the Christian faith, it really challenges me to go deeper and to walk out a more courageous faith. We'll also hear about the brave and inspiring missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, in our Heavyweights of the Faith segment. Well, I know you're busy out there, so let's get right to it. So I was born in Houston. When I was two years old, my family moved to Iran, where my parents are from. When I was six years old, the Islamic Revolution of the late 70s hit that country. We moved back to Houston. Uh, I didn't speak English, I spoke Farsi, and so an English tutor that was teaching me the English language every day by reading me books gave me a small New Testament in the second grade. I read that New Testament 10 years later, and that's how I came to faith in Christ. Because of my newfound faith in Christ, I decided to hide my faith from my family. I made my commitment to Christ public at at an evangelistic crusade, and, and at driving home from this event is when it hit me. What am I going to tell my father? What am I going to tell my family? You see, my father had always been the most important person in my life, the guy I've always looked up to. And so I'm ashamed to tell you this, but I decide to hide my faith from him. I, I would sneak out to go to church. I would intercept mail from the church I was attending. I'd hide my Bible. But finally, one day, my dad found out. He'd seen my Bible. He'd seen other evidences in my life. And he sits me down and he said, son, what's going on? I said, Dad, what do you mean? He said, there's something different about you. And I said, well, Dad, I'm a Christian. And he said, excuse me? I said, I'm a Christian. He said, no, you're not, young man. You're a Muslim, and you'll always be a Muslim. And I said, Dad, the Bible says if I trust in Christ alone for my salvation, then I'm a Christian, and I do. And my dad said, Afshin, if you're going to be a Christian, then you can no longer be my son. And that's when it first nailed me. Everything in me wanted to say, forget it. I'll be a Muslim, because I didn't want to lose my dad. And I share that so you know I'm not boasting today. Because even I was surprised when I opened my mouth and I said, Dad, if I have to choose between you and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. If I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. So my father disowned me on the spot. I went upstairs to my room. This is the defining moment of my life. I said, God, how could you do this to me? I said, Jesus, if you're real, how could you take my dad away from me? The Lord led me to a passage of scripture in Matthew 10 where Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him. Jesus goes on to say, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father. And I'm reading this right after 
my dad disowned me. I'm reading this going, whoa, this just happened for me. He goes on and says, I've come to turn a daughter against her mother. A man's enemies were the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then again, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's when I first understood what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I'm passionate for people to know, look, there's a cost to following Jesus. What is it costing you to follow him? And it might be that the thing they're holding on to is the thing that's keeping them from a life lived for his glory. For me, it was my dad. For, for, for you, for others, it may be something else. I think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus lists off some commands. And we're very good many times in a Christian culture at just kind of keeping the commands on the outside. This guy goes, oh, I've kept the commands. And Jesus says, all right, then go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and you follow me. You see, Jesus knew who this man's God really was. And so the Bible says that this man walked away from Jesus sorrowful for he had great possessions. What a shame. He possessed great things he wasn't willing to lose. And he missed out possessing the greatest thing in life. And so, what is the thing that we are holding on to? And our people have to learn. When you lose your life, you find it. Well, for me, I had to lose my family to follow Christ. But God gave me a roommate in college that was also a former Muslim who also was disowned by his father. God, from college, took me to seminary, gave me a, a man who paid for my entire seminary degree, a businessman in Dallas, gave me a position at a church to be an intern and then to be a college pastor, and then gave me a 15-year speaking ministry where I've traveled all over the country, preached the gospel, seen Muslims come to faith in Christ. Uh, my story's been put in magazines that have gone all over the world. Now, why? Because I'm an amazing uh, minister, speaker, pastor, or because I have a great resume? No, because God had a plan for my life. And I, and I believe when we lose our life is when we find the life that God wants us to have. One final thing, what's so amazing is that today, my relationship with my dad is restored. He's not a Christian, we're still praying for that. But on top of that, a ministry called Elam, which is in England, and this ministry reaches into Iran with the gospel. They found out about me, they've come and partnered with me, and now I go to the Middle East. I can't get into Iran, but I go to a neighboring country where men and women who've come to faith in Christ are coming there to be trained, and I get to train them, and they go back into Iran. I'm not the only one, there's several of us that train them, but they go back to Iran and plant underground churches today. What's amazing is this, that today I could be a doctor and have my dad proud of me if I held on to my life. But by the grace of God, I was able to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus to lay my life down and out. Today, I get to be part of a ministry impacting the nation that my family came out of. And so, when we lose our life, I believe our life will be leveraged and used for the glory of God and for others to know Jesus. And so, that's why for us to be on mission, to be doing evangelism, we must first count the cost and follow Christ. Don't keep a good thing to yourself. Share this show with your friends, post it on social media, or go old school and tell them about it in person. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Enter the ring with us as we explore the lives of average people who became extraordinary leaders through the power and presence of God. Welcome to Heavyweights of the Faith, brief biographies of great believers who changed the world. Amy Carmichael was the first Irish daughter born to David and Kathleen Carmichael on December 16, 1867, in Mill Isle, County Down, Ireland. There would be six brothers and sisters to follow her. Her father ran a flour mill, owned by the Carmichaels for the last hundred years, and the family, big as it was, was never in need. Mr. and Mrs. Carmichael were devout Christians that raised their children in equal devotion to the Lord. Amy's family moved to Belfast when she was 16 and two years later, her father died. With his passing and a fall through the mill's finances, she would spend the next 10 years being a right hand to her mother and tutor to her younger siblings. But this wasn't enough to deter Amy from reaching out to help those less fortunate. She made weekly trips into the slums of Belfast with a local pastor to hand out tracts and food to the impoverished. It was there that she first discovered the Shawleys, girls her age and younger who worked in the mills. Seeing their hunger for God's love and hope, she set up Bible studies held at the Rosemary Street Presbyterian Church. The presence of the Shawleys caused complaint and gossip amid the congregation, but Amy didn't care. She was doing what God needed her to do, and that was all that mattered. The ministry with the Shawleys bloomed, and soon a building was purchased to seat the hundreds of girls gathered to worship the Lord. As at home as Amy felt with the Shawley girls, she now felt God's calling pulling her elsewhere, to the slums of Manchester, England. There, she lived in an apartment with bugs and rats for neighbors. The conditions were terrible and the streets dangerous, but Amy remained to spread God's word. Her health, however, soon swept her out of the slums and into the estate of family friend Robert Wilson. It was in her two-year stay with the Wilsons and his sons that she first heard missionary Hudson Taylor speak. With his words, she felt the Lord drawing her to the same mission, Go Ye. Breaking into missionary work was no small feat for Amy. Her initial application for the China Inland Mission was rejected due to her health. She traveled to Japan in 1893, but was forced to return to England after 15 months due to her health. Her recovery was long and spiritually agonizing. If God had called her to missions, why would he block the road so heavily? In 1894, Amy received an invitation from a friend to join a missionary society with the Church of England in Bangalore. The climate would prove easier to her health, and India was known as the British Empire's crown jewel. But of course, Amy being Amy, was more interested in what lied beneath the luster. The missionaries that she first housed with were nothing more than complainers, concerned more about keeping themselves pampered than converting the natives. Amy was easily the odd duck out, so it was only natural that she soon went to live with Reverend Thomas Walker and his wife in the Tinnevelly district in 1896. Thomas Walker was a gruff man, but a committed Christian and no one had snapped at Amy where she couldn't snap back. Through grueling sessions, she learned the Tamil language, studied the Hindu caste system, and began drawing in new converts, especially young women and girls. 
They came seeking sanctuary from the temples where they served as prostitutes. Often, the girls' families or other women at the temple would track them down and demand the girls back. Unlike Amy's work in Japan, it was a great shame if a person converted to Christianity. The lucky ones would be shunned from their homes, others tortured or murdered. But nor Amy or the walkers could be deterred. If a child came seeking refuge, they were instantly given a home and hope for eternal life. Amy's time in India lengthened and so did her adoptive family. Not only did she have the women of the Starry Cluster, a group who helped her evangelize across the villages, but as word of their group had spread, more and more girls showed up at their doorstep. 11 years old, babies, teenagers, until the family was over 50 in number. Amy realized then that her time of traveling and evangelizing was over. It was time to succumb to the cries of Amma, the Tamil word for mother. Amma's mission to the children of India lasted 55 years. She wore the traditional sari, dyed her skin with coffee and tea bags, and endured the hot and dry Indian atmosphere, all in the name of God's precious children. In 1931, however, her race for him was jolted by a fall. Her hip and back were badly damaged, and she was unable to fully walk again. The last 20 years of her mission at the fellowship were directed from her room. Amy's movements were limited, but her ministry was not. In 20 years, she wrote 16 additional books of the missionary work in India. Presently, only a few of her books are still in print. When Amy passed away in January of 1951, no gravestone was planted per her request. However, her girls settled a bird bath over her burial site. On the bath was engraved one word, Ama. Special thanks to Inspirational Christians for use of their written biographies. Please visit inspirationalchristians.org for more biographies and articles. Both of our stories in this episode center around self-sacrifice. This runs completely contrary to the popular ideal of self-care. And it's good to run inventory on our lives. Uh, we're not going to be here forever. But specifically, how is our time and money being spent? You know, I get it. We're all busy with jobs, school, loved ones. So my advice would be to start with prayer. God, open my eyes to your calling. Make way for me to give back in serving you. As always, I'd like to leave you with a verse before I go. And this is from 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light.